Well, first of all, I should just say that I think it's significant that there is there's some quite big shifts in her thinking um, that typically haven't really been attended to. Uh, and so often um, people are reading her earlier work with her later as if uh, there aren't some fundamental tensions there, which I think there are. So that's one of the reasons why periodizing her work in, in the first place in, uh, is significant. Um, and so in her earlier work, I'm thinking of that um, kind of in the run up to uh, her move to the US in kind of over 1973, 1974. Um, and uh, as she was writing Black Metamorphosis, which maybe we can talk about a little bit, the unpublished um, mammoth manuscript. Uh, and so I would also see that, sorry, that manuscript as part of um, her early work, but it's one in which she's writing it for a very long time. I think it's almost... 10 years, and so there's a lot of shifts in it. And then by 1984, there's a bit of a gap when you get um, ceremony, ceremony Must Be Found, which is kind of the first articulation of the project around the human that people tend to associate her with. Um, I mm -hmm. think it's been a big um, departure. And so her earlier work is mm -hmm. more focused on the Caribbean, um, on some of the debates, um, around uh, obviously independence. Um, it's much more anti-colonial, it's much more Marxist, uh, and it's also engaging um, part of that kind of particular take on a kind of Marxism is um, engagement with Adorno uh, and Benjamin, um, mm. as opposed to say by 1984, she's reading Habermas. So there's already a kind of shift um, uh, that in part is kind of dovetailing with the times in terms of um, following trends in post kind of emergence of post-structuralism um, away from some of the more overtly um, nationalist uh, Marxist um, tendencies that were around, but also a shift from um, really thinking the kind of site and space of the Caribbean as in some ways exemplary of also the new world a shift from that and folk folk culture, black folk culture, um, towards a kind of more um, general ontological question of uh, the human uh, and kind of um, a world historical frame. And mm -hmm. so one of the things that I think gets slightly lost is a kind of careful attention to uh, located uh, quotidian uh, practices and their revolutionary um, potential. Mm -hmm. In the shift, sorry, in the shift to her more mature project. Okay. And can you elaborate a little on that engagement with the Frankfurt School of Benjamin Adorno Habermas? How do you how do you see that shift? Yeah. So um, first of all, I was just really struck reading her early work, which I read um, after I'd read a fair amount of her kind of more mature. Um, project and mm -hmm. I was first of all just really struck to see Adorno front and center uh, in some of her early published essays from like 1968 and 1969 yeah. uh, and so <clears throat> there's a kind of two-part um, uh, very classic winter thing very long <laughs> essay called we must learn to sit down together and talk about a little culture 
um, reflections on West Indian writing and criticism. And, and there, Adorno, um, a particular essay from uh, Adorno um, from the collection, I think it was Prisms, his essay, Cultural Criticism and Society, is really in some ways the kind of conceptual scaffolding of mm. her reflections on West Indian criticism. Um, and so, yeah, so that was, was noteworthy. And I think what's interesting is the way in which often, say, when Adorno and um, anti-colonialism and Adorno and blackness have been thought together, it's typically um, in a critical, there's a lot to, there's some to critique, yeah, <laughs> uh, in terms of Adorno, Adorno's, he's almost critical of you know colonialism, Eurocentrism, and yet yeah. he produces it in some really important ways, and particularly his points uh, uh, on jazz. Um, but what what's interesting? One of the things that's interesting about Winter's engagement with Adorno is she's actually she's less interested in doing that work. She's already um, in her engagement with Adorno, modelling uh, the kind of approach that she's calling for in some ways. Hmm. So she's using aspects of his, of his thought um, to formulate uh, a specifically Caribbean um, form of uh, critique. Um, and so that's, and it's also using him to analyse um, the landscape of uh, criticism and creative output, particularly literature uh, in the Caribbean at the time. So she's thinking about um, the culture industry um, and uh, a kind of, she's wanting to avoid kind of two pitfalls. So one is um, just producing uh, culture as, you know, commodities. Hmm. Um, and uh, another pitfall is um, that of, uh, a kind of seemingly completely disinterested uh, formalist art for art's sake, yeah. critique, for critique's sake. Uh, and part of what she uses Adorno to see is that in the Caribbean context, um, the latter position, a kind of disinterested, seemingly impartial, objective um, <clears throat> stance, form of criticism, is itself ideological. It's profoundly um, ideological because one of the things that it does is it uh, masks and actually um, denies the larger processes and reality of which it is actually intervening and a reflection, namely a colonial and a kind of emerging post-colonial um, situation. Mm. And so um, for her, she's gonna use Adorno to argue for the need for uh, a kind of a, another another position, which is one that is um, first of all kind of moving away from the idea of culture as some reified sphere that's separate from material historical everyday life, mm -hmm. um, and instead uh, thinking about culture always is bound up with with praxis with um, the political. Um, so that's one thing she's going uh, to do using, using Adorno. And that's gonna enable her to revalue black uh, folk culture, both past and emerging, uh, particularly in how she's looking at forms of um, 
popular music, but particularly think about reggae um, mm -hmm. and Rastafarianism uh, as uh, potentially political. So she's avoiding the move of kind of abstracting and reifying uh, these like black, she uses the word folk, cultural forms. She doesn't want to kind of um, essentialize them, but she's using Adorno to, uh, first of all, revalue them as a form of culture, but a form of culture that's never separate or separable from the political. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you said there a sort of Caribbean critique, which uh, I know we talked about distinguishing from a Creole critique. Can you yeah. say more about that kind of distinction and, and what's going on there in winter? Sure. And um, yeah, and it's linked to these, some of these points I was making here. So she's kind of in these early essays, she's developing a kind of a lexicon of related um, terms. And so she's criticizing what she calls transcendent critique, which is um, the, the imaginary or imagined position of the critic as somehow kind of outside of social, historical, political relations and situatedness. So she's critical of that, mm -hmm. um, as I said, because she says that is in itself actually an ideological role. Mm -hmm. And she associates what she calls Creole critique with, with that move. And so her use of Creole is um, importantly different from uh, the way in which we may be more familiar with it, say from mm -hmm. like Glissant, um, or even to some extent like Brathwaite, mm -hmm. in that she's um, using it primarily critically uh, to think about Creole as um, uh, particularly a kind of a middle class, an aspirational middle class who are mixed, uh, light skinned, um, and have a base, use education and culture to distinguish themselves from blackness mm. in the Caribbean, particularly, this is where she's, she's thinking. Mm. And she's looking at kind of uh, reshuffling and, and struggle and vying for power and position in a kind of new Jamaican uh, nation and national imaginary. And so um, when she's thinking about Creole critique, she's thinking about, oh, sorry, of just Creole, she's thinking about, okay, mixed as is, um, you know, suggested by these other uses like, you know, glissons or, but um, there's mm -hmm. nothing inherently revolutionary or anti-colonial about that. In fact, mm -hmm. is what she's saying. Um, and so uh, one of the things that Creole criticism does is it, um, A, denies the reality of the colonial situation and its ongoing inheritances um, through a kind of pretense to a kind of disinterested cultural criticism. Um, and be it kind of uh, it forecloses any meaningful uh, discussion or valorization of blackness and of connections to um, Africa as they survive and live on uh, within the Caribbean. And so a lot of her work in this this period and particularly in the the manuscript of black, Metamorphosis is 
trying to counter what um, critique at the time calls like a cultural void when it comes to blackness. So the idea that there was no, there had, there is no black culture, basically, and there hasn't been, um, particularly in post, um, particularly in post-slavery um, societies, and. A lot of her work is dedicated to, uh, at this point, to refuting that myth, uh, which she think, which she thinks plays again a really um, pernicious and important uh, political role of denying blackness, of denying um, black emplacement life in the Caribbean, and therefore also um, denying uh, a kind of more truly anti-colonial. Um, and revolutionary uh, possible nation and national culture. So yeah, insofar as Creole critique would amount to something like a kind of a masking and therefore perpetuation of colonial capitalist relations, um, it's mm -hmm. something that she is uh, very critical of herself. And so she develops what she calls like a, a challenging or um, and a truly Caribbean critique uh, to kind of counter that. And so that's looking at, um, at, at literature, but also at dance, at music, at like John Canoe and uh, festivals at religious and spiritual practices and rites, and particularly uh, looking at um, relations with the land or relations with the land mm. as earth rather than as um, property to be exploited. So she sees in black folk, a word culture in the Caribbean, uh, a kind of a liminal, a marginal uh, form of existence that is of course uh, bitterly embroiled with colonial capital and yet somehow uh, is the spring or the kind of site of um, of alternative worldviews because it's it's never fully kind of embraced uh, or has a kind of the aspirational possibilities that something like Creole does. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's a very helpful answer. Um, could you say more about the the land that you just brought up and that relation to land in winter that I know is something you you write about and think about in your other work as well. Yeah, thank you. And um, and this is one of those points that I see again as a shift from mm. her earlier work to her um, mature work. Uh, because many of us, well, those of us who are already familiar with Winter's work know that she's um, ostensibly committed to overcoming the dualism of nature and culture and of revaluing the human in, um, in more ecological terms. So she's giving both a kind of um, an ecological evolutionary history in some ways of the human. And that's very much motivated by um, what she says is the, the need, the existential imperative of uh, meeting the challenges of, of climate change and ecological destruction. So that's the kind of, that's the stance we have that some of us will already be familiar with from her kind of mature work. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it's, again, it's on this much larger scale, uh, this global kind of planetary evolutionary scale in terms of thinking about relations with um, more than humans. Um, but in her earlier work, it's uh, through looking at situated practices um, that we have uh, a quite different, I think, sense of engagement with um, with what she here calls in her early work, the earth. And mm. so she is um, particularly thinking about um, enslaved people's uh, kind of ambivalent and vexed relation as both being forced to uh, treat the earth in plantation societies as property uh, to be exploited uh, and to be owned for profit uh, and uh, all the, the alienated um, consequences of that in terms of also, um, she writes a lot in her early work as well about producing primarily export uh, monocrop agriculture. Um, and so the strange relation to self and land that um, that results in for uh, enslaved and descendants of enslaved um, people in plantation societies. But at the same time, she's gonna say that um, enslaved people were never, that was never the whole story of their relation with the earth. And so part of this work she's doing of, of tracing um, the survival and mutation and transformation of uh, African um, world, which she calls worldviews, uh, is looking at how um, an alternative sense of the earth was also maintained and survived in the Caribbean, in particularly in black um, culture. And so thinking about the earth as this meeting place of um, uh, the living and the dead, source of all life, as fundamentally um, communal and collective in a way that cannot be owned, uh, and as something we're indebted to, and also um, drawing from Senghor, thinking about uh, culture as the result of a dialectic between um, humans and their environment. Um, actually, not even a dialectic, just a reciprocal process is how she's thinking of it here. Whereas in her, in her later work, uh, I think despite the ostensible kind of ecological register, I think she actually uh, ends up overvaluing the human in ways that um, reproduce certain uh, assumptions inherited from enlightenment thought. Um, and yeah, so this maybe I'll just <laughs> leave it there. But I think that's one of those points, mm. the shifting stages of the kind of earth and nature that that is really worth tracking. Uh, where there's actually quite quite a shift uh, to from her early work to her mature work. Okay, maybe our audience members will have more questions on uh, what you kind of left off there. I would encourage everybody uh, with us tonight to feel free to post your questions, and we'll get to them. Uh, in a few minutes after a few more of my own. I was thinking next on this point of the alternatives. There's this moment I think back to a lot in 
uh, one of Winter's recent interviews with Catherine McKittrick in the Being Human as Praxis volume. And uh, Winter sort of says, talking about Judith Butler's idea of performativity, that that's kind of, that's right with respect to gender, but we need to talk about that with respect to the genre of being human, with respect to all forms, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, all roles, enactments that are overdetermined in some way by this uh, capital M man and so on. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking of that moment. Do you see, is, the, is there more there in dialogue with the earlier work that you're tracing out for this, this call for alternatives? Or how do you, how do you think about that, that call with respect to overdetermination for all, <laughs> all genres? Right. Yeah. Um, so your question, so you're thinking about the, you're, you're asking me, how do I see the kind of the shift to a kind of more universal comprehensive frame or what's, yeah, maybe just say your question again. <laughs> Certainly that, that would be great that the shift to the more universal, but I also hear, mm -hmm. I hear the, that, um, that sense of the alternative still yeah. there in, in that, that interview answer. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe that's, um, that's right. I mean, there's a worry maybe that it, it she's looking at so many forms of difference and of performativity hmm. um, in her mature work and also thinking about performativity on a kind of like almost, you know, an evolutionary, almost like somatic, almost cellular level as well, thinking about our brains how they uh, can be rewired. So she's maybe kind of deepening the sense, the concept of performativity from Butler's use. I don't know, that's mm -hmm. a debate with um, bodies that matter, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but she's in some ways maybe deepening and generalizing um, performativity to think about it on this kind of more evolutionary uh, plane that then explains all the other forms of, of difference and, and differentiation of which gender would be one. Um, so yeah, that's what I see her doing, doing there. Um, and yeah, don't know. <laughs> that's, that that's good. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. And then our last question before we hear from the audience, um, I would just like to invite you to, to hear more about your thinking about winter and feminism in winter's corpus, another of your research interests and that we we haven't talked on so much tonight yeah sure and I mean obviously enga the engagement with Judith Butler is um you know an instance of that although one that arguably moves away from a kind of focused concern with gender and sexuality so she's engaged winter is engaging with Butler but um then there's this move to a kind of um a broader yeah. frame and one yeah. I mean, one reason for that is that um for winter you can't think gender in isolation from um race and so yeah and yet she makes that point uh and but I would like I would like to see her to kind of develop it more in a sustained way um but yeah one of the one of the things that I wanted to talk about was thinking about um, a real shortcoming of her early work. Mm. Uh, since I've been mostly quite kind of 
affirmative about it is uh, the, the, the complete absence of anything like a feminist consciousness, mm. um, a black feminist consciousness. Uh, and so speaking about, so in her, in we must learn to sit down and talk about little culture where she's engaging with Adorno. She's giving through um, a reading of George Lamming She's giving a retelling of um, Caliban uh, and Prospero of the Tempest as the kind of foundational myth of the Caribbean. Uh, and in a way that's parallel, paralleling um, Adorno's and Horkheimer's reading of Odysseus in Dialectic Enlightenment. But anyway, there's really interesting things going on about myth there and uh, needing new kind of counter myths and founding myths. But what's... Mm-hmm. Um, Totally absent, also totally absent from this reading is um, the figure that will then be super important in one of her most explicitly um, black feminist or womanist, as she puts it there, essays, which is Taliban's mate. So in the in the piece um, from the late 60s, uh, she Winter effectively talks about. Uh, attempted rape of Miranda being a kind of healing process <laughs> of miscegenation and unification, um, which is, uh, and so she's very much identifying with Caliban as the, the figure protagonist of the Caribbean as such, without thinking about uh, critically about the ways in which Caliban has maybe has been uh, gendered. Uh, or is a gendered um, being. And so part of that, she's going to say, whether she's uh, reflecting explicitly on her own position is not clear, but in Beyond Miranda's Meanings, of like, which is from 1990, the very impossibility of thinking Caliban's mate is going to be a fundamental question for her one in which um, opens up uh, the terrain of thinking about uh, gender and sexuality as, um, from a womanist or black feminist perspective. Um, since Winter argues there, uh, it's kind of an impossibility or contradiction for thought to think about um, a black woman. Blackness is associated with okay, a kind of genderlessness, but particularly uh, an, uh, a masculinity. And so she was also unable to think about um, Caliban's absent mate uh, in her early work, focusing just on kind of mo- the figure of Miranda and Caliban as the kind of mythos of gender and sexuality in the Caribbean. Whereas in her later work, she's then able to start investigating um, the kind of absent presence of Caliban's mate, i.e. the very the very position that she actually occupies, but was unable to kind of see um, in her early work, where she's very much identifying with the sort of masculinist uh, Caribbean uh, anti-colonial corpus and position. So, yeah. Well, um, okay, let's go to audience questions. This first, and everybody can still post this. First question uh, I like a lot. It says, Romy, awesome to hear this and for you to contextualize your reading. Thank you. Can you say more about how you want to approach quotidian and daily practices 
in your research on winter now? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I'm aware, one thing I actually wanted to talk about was it's, it's the humor or the irony of me writing about a properly Caribbean critique when I don't really have a direct or long-term connection to the Caribbean myself is an interesting one that I think is worth noting. Um, especially since to not note it would be to do the very thing that Winter is criticising, right, which is to kind of write and think seemingly from nowhere, right, in this kind of impartial um, way. So, yeah, I think that's important in terms of, like, <laughs> my own practices and then how I would want to mm. engage with those um with those practices. I mean, I think in terms of kind of in Winter's early work, there's a, there's a love and a care for, um, yeah, for things that haven't been loved and cared for mm. <laughs> historically. Uh, and that us are themselves kind of sites of, um, of, yeah, knowledge and survival. And particularly thinking about um, uh, that in terms of in socio-ecological terms so winter has um, some a well-known essay uh, where she talks about the provision grounds which were the grounds that some enslaved people um, were allowed to keep on the kind of margins of um, plantations where they grew food typically to um, uh, supplement the kind of substandard uh, food, including yams, uh, is particularly what Winter writes about, and kind of sustenance um, sustenance crops that were where the growing of the crops was itself evidence of like of knowledge brought from Africa, um, and it was also in some ways counter to the logic of the monocrop. Um, agriculture and the treatment of land as property that I spoke about earlier. And mm -hmm. so it was also the site of kind of um, an alternative spiritual as well as ecological practice and community. So that's just an example of a kind of a more uh, quotidian practice that at least she does a wonderful job of unpacking. Um, mm -hmm. And it's in my own work, it's those kinds of practices that uh, I think have some of the real clues we need for living differently um, mm -hmm. and for the future, particularly in the context of um, climate change. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, secondly, can you say more about the Beyond Miranda's meanings conclusion and the um, kind of call there for the uh, new science of human discourse at the end that is uh, generalizing um, in addition to the feminism that you were talking about earlier with respect to to the essay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, and this is, I suppose, my issue, I feel that this is the move she makes in all, Winter makes in all her mature work. Um, and that I sometimes find frustrating I think I mean I think the reason she makes that call there is um because because it's 
in a way, for her, womanism or black feminism is already, it already points to something beyond itself, right? There's no, it, the category of black womanhood is in some sense, it's, it's contradictory. It's what she calls the demonic ground. So it gives a, um, a kind of uh, a perspective onto, that's on the margins or somehow outside of the system that gives a kind of unique um, understanding of how the system works that for winter at least is somehow supposed to kind of, that contradictory moment is supposed to start the undoing of the system. of her. And so uh, to think and articulate and affirm womanism or black feminism is in some ways already to um, uh, begin to undo or, or create an opening for the undoing of um, the system of man that has uh, that has created the categories for black womanhood and feminism. So rather than staying with those um, and uh, kind of affirming them and building a kind of a political and social and intellectual project from there, Winter sees womanism, I think, as opening, as already opening onto something beyond itself um, in a way that I find uh, a little unnerving, but <laughs> um, I think there's something to, we should rest there for a bit. 